This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. COVID-19! COVID-19! Oh, yeah. I'm going to the wind of God. The wind of God. Beat is tight. On you. On you. You are destroyed forever. You are destroyed forever. And you will never be back. <laughs> COVID-19. Oh, boy. The people behind him don't sound that enthusiastic. No, he doesn't quite have them, uh, you know. The train rolling of, of energy when you call out COVID nineteen as a demon. What is that? What was that audio from? Uh, Kenneth Copeland. You know him. He looks like an evil demon. He looks like a demon. He looks exactly like a demon from hell, and he like he does. The, he has the jets and the money and all this stuff, and he's just. The, I mean, nothing seems more foolish and against God than talking about COVID nineteen and going and, and like the power of God when uh, the. Nothing's happening. It's an actual virus, and we need real people to fix it. I mean, yeah. it, it, it seems like the worst, most useless thing. You, it's, it's embarrassing. It, it, it really it, shows. It really reveals some things, you know. And I think there's a timidness in the voice of of these type of people that make the the you know the people that are always yeah. saying the tsunami. This is because they did that or whatever. Right. This one. It, I mean, they are in the demographic <laughs> of people to be worried, and they're not so confident when they not as find it at all. And, you know, and do the right. whatever they're doing. They do not seem as confident to me that they that the power of God is going to help them as well, you as they normally pretend well, this, to be. <laughs> this this virus has really revealed uh, some people have really been affected by it. I mean, yes. like, like seriously, like, like for example, I think we uh, all have Toby. I know we all have been affected. You're right, <laughs> but you're seeing it in ways that I didn't. I didn't expect to see the effects of COVID nineteen in the ways it has. For example, I'm watching. I'm flipping through the channels, and uh, you know, I love sports, and I'm flipping through, and Colin Coward's on there, and he's having to do his show as a sportscaster, a sports radio guy, uh, from his house. And his hair looks bad, and he has no makeup on. <laughs> and I noticed I've never thought about hair and makeup ever for these people, especially a sports guy. Yes, and I was I like, know. "Oh, he looks rough. He looks rough." They, especially in sports, because they do all this work and makeup and uh, style choices to look normal, like the everyman. Right. <laughs> Right, <laughs> that's what the makeup's for. But I, I think that's amazing. Thinking about these, uh, I mean, it, I just get the biggest kick out of it that the people that do types of media that are very polished just look like clowns all the way around a lot right. of the late night hosts do uh, a lot of the t- even bill maher show was just such a i, I love bill maher he is one a just a total hero of mine for what he overall skill he does and what he does in the format that he does it in right. but his format's gone I know. So it's unbelievable what he sounds like. I, I listened like to the, a, yeah, I know. I listened to the podcast version of the show, and it was he had an actual laugh track, <laughs> and I was like, "This is crazy! What do we do? Are we in the like 1970 with the mm-hmm. laugh track, and it's not in front of a live studio audience, and you still have to have it there, or else 
you can't perform. Mm-hmm. Like it was, it, I agree. I listened to that uh, Bill Maher, and I was like, "Whoa, he, he's so talented, but he has a he has an actual crutch." Oh he has, yeah, he has, he has like real crutches that he has to have to perform at the level he you know. He's well, used I mean, to. but his art form. I mean, he's a genius, but it's built around a certain format. But without it, but a lot of the people aren't even that talented that are on TV, for instance, on daily right. shows and things like that. I'm not saying the Daily Show, and I don't know who's who exactly. But you see these people having to go from their apartment with Skype, without the makeup and without the quality, and it's yeah. just a huge difference. And uh, I love my favorite thing about it is Howard Stern is just crushing them. He's in his. All right. He's he's in his basement somewhere out. He said he's probably never going back to the studio. He loves it so much, but he's in his element completely. Oh, like it's right. completely normal for him the way he does his show, and he keeps playing clips of Ryan Seacrest this and and they his people bring on. <laughs> And they play clips of, of celebrities failing unbelievable over Skype. <laughs> no. and, you know, so, I mean, we've been doing it, living, I mean, mine and your relationship's been over right. Skype for, uh, you know. Know, for hundreds, You're right. thousands of hours and stuff. So the timing's less of a big deal. It's always been a hindrance, but now it's like, oh, a level playing field to some degree. I, I mean, I, I'm not like them, but, you know, I'm pretty comfortable. I'm in a basement anyway, just doing, just doing this, streaming live. It's very similar. So it really starts to separate talent from production, from makeup, and the image people keep up is the thing that that it attacks that I love so much is what are you without your reputation image the crafted parts of what you I are know. if you strip that away then what do you have well, it, well it's even encouraged us right now the BC club is watching this video uh, we're recording this live and putting it on YouTube but because uh, we're testing this out because we're like wait why wouldn't we do more video and we've been doing this for such a long time we tried it for a while then we got lazy and so even we are now like, wait a minute, we can put this on video. We can have our guests and this podcast for you to see and view as well. So I think that's really cool. Yeah, we're Matt, live on public YouTube right now. I don't think we have yeah. a high view. Oh, yeah, you're yet, right. But we're yeah, you can look it up. Live, so go, wa- so go watch it. People ask um, me all the time, how do you edit podcasts? I said, well, we try, basically try not to. So today's an attempt yeah. at doing a podcast start to finish with no edits and who, keep, who keep else, that, everything. Uh, who else is being affected out there? By, the, by, by COVID nineteen, yeah. outside of everybody's anxiety at fear level and chance of death at least doubling, uh, outside right. of that, I would say yeah. another group that I was <laughs> taking those about, into consideration. Taking those into consideration. <laughs> <laughs> I would say on top of that, people that might be more another affected group. I was thinking of is uh, a marginalized group, maybe like somebody that's rough right now in a rough no, situation. No. Yeah, yeah, serialized yeah. cheaters, serial cheaters. <laughs> That's who I think has really been impacted. Oh, they're having a hell of a time right yeah. now. And, and this My is ma- male and female because we know a lot of people cheat. Right. It is a very widespread thing. But if you have a family, but you also have, you know, what do you what do people call that? There's lots of terms for it. You have something uh, on the side, but yeah. what, I don't know what all the terms are for it. But you a have, side, a, you're, yeah, side yeah, something, any of that. You're side married. Piece. You have a family. And then you have a little something on the side. You're very, very affected here for the reason of, first of right. all, you can't leave your house, so right. you're not getting any there. So that's got to be really difficult. It puts more pressure on can't you to like, say you're rip. working late tonight. No, working late tonight. No, like, or going by the gym after work or anything like that. None of that. So, oh, that meeting ran long. Yeah. <laughs> probably people doing, I have a long Zoom meeting, do not come right. in here, and then sneak out the, the window <laughs> like, you're, right. you're, like you're a teenager. But still, you got to worry about uh, disease transmission, even if you could sneak out. Right. right. So there's right. an issue there with safe sex. They say there's no such thing as safe sex. Now no. it's really true. 
depending on who you are and your underlying That's conditions. That's right. You used to be worried just about STDs, not yep. anymore. Well, it's, <laughs> that is an STD. Coronavirus could be yeah, ST. Right. Yeah. You know, it could be ST'd. Yeah, I think My you could God. be you could be ST'd. So, right. also, I think that they uh, the other thing about that group is they very much uh, they probably don't like their family and are cooped no, up I, with them. <laughs> think of how right. how crazy that's driving them. So I kind of get a little right. pleasure out of this group. I don't like people that cheat on their families, but I was just thinking they're really probably in a lot of pain right now. They have to sit there with their wife that they hate and their kids that get on their nerves oh, and they can't no, go that, visit they their They can't mistress, go anywhere. Which is their stress reliever. So I bet they're about ready to pop right now. Oh, I know. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you one other one that I think has, has been really affected by COVID and, and it's it, they've maybe been hit the hardest. Who's that? And, and and going on and like over the next year or two is going to be the most devastation is campus pastors. <laughs> 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 they are in trouble, my friend. They, I don't know if they're going back. It, 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 the market doesn't seem like it's going to recover for that for the, for that non-essential. Job. Not not very non-essential. You know what I mean? Like it, that. If, I mean, if it's all online worship. Then right. you don't get to get up there and give the the post sermon your two cents. You don't get to get in the feed to do the wrap of the, of the video sermon from the main campus. You mean? <laughs> well, I mean, think about it. Are you going to go to a place and watch the pastor on a screen with other people sitting beside you that might have a disease, or would you just watch on a screen at your house? <laughs> I know. You know what I mean? On Sunday morning, you're going to go. Ah, I'm not going to show up to that building and watch it on the screen. I'll just keep my health. As best I can, I'm going to social distance. I mean, and I think that's even going to be in a few months. Like once so you get them trained, like even if it did go back right. to normal, whenever it would. For, well, first of all, the giving just has to just be. I mean, church. I don't know if there's stats on it, but church giving has to just be plummeted without the in-person guilt factor of like. You know what I'm saying? There's no yeah. way online giving is the same as in-person. Everybody could imagine i don't know what percentage Uh, we're gonna have tom tom on here in a minute and i would it would be an interesting data to find out uh Mm. in the future what like a pandemic happens and what happens to actual like giving across the board like not even just churches probably i mean like i don't even know like i'm seeing lots of people like for example and I'll, i'll 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 be honest and show you that i'm shitty as well i see a lot saying hey we need blood and I am scared to go give my blood because what if I was there and got COVID? Like, mm-hmm. I, I want to be generous and give my blood. Jess and, Jess and I both are O negative, and I know that that blood can go to anybody. Yeah. So I am a person that needs to go give blood, and I am honestly just really scared to go give it because what mm-hmm. if I were to get COVID and come back to my family? I know, and I think that that thought is even uh, could be argued a little irrational. But I'm just nervous about that. So I, if I'm not doing stuff, of course, <laughs> I, I'm not a good, but I'm saying I, I don't think people are so much better than me or, or whatever. I mean, if I'm, I, mm-hmm. I'm assuming some people are probably giving and doing stuff and, and even still being charitable to an extent. But how many people are living paycheck to paycheck before this happened and they're worried about uh, September and mm-hmm. getting food on the table. So right, which I don't is know. a double effect on the on the uh, you know right. church church giving, especially the local part. But you know people are worried about income; they're not even going to the church, right? You know, so there's that. But I think that you're seeing lots of behavior change. So there's plenty to track and learn and do data on. But what you're saying there of just about even being afraid of that is probably widespread. There's lots of new norms that are forming, and I. I can't believe how recently it was that Robin Hanson was on this podcast and he just said and kind of chuckled that we'll see new social norms maybe. Ha ha ha. I was like, right. yeah, okay, whatever. 
And it's just, I can't believe how much he knew what he was talking about. And I wasn't even, I and I thought I was with what he was saying, but I didn't have a clue that there's, I mean, the social norms that are changing and how that works and people's behavior is just going to be radically modified here. And there's tons of, to talk about and track and think about. So it will be awesome. We have our, our guest today is Tom Seipel. He's a software developer and designer. Uh, he works in data science and visualization. And he, he does he has a big yeah. broad bo- background in art and science, civic planning, stuff like that. And he's going to join us in just a second. But before that, we have a sponsor for today's show. Toby, you want to talk about it? I want to talk about our sponsor for our show. You talking oh, about no, t- yeah, uh, I know, No, I got it. It was I, me. Oh, okay. I see. There's a one. I I wanted to talk about them because I love them so much, but I'll let you do it. No, no. I love them too. It's Tooth and Nail. Tooth and Nail has been a sponsor of this podcast for almost as long as we've had a podcast and we've had a relationship with them for much longer than that um, in the band Emory. So, Tooth and Nail is launching a 25% off store wide sale across all their labels for the next two weeks. So, it's something. You should definitely go check out. And Reva, if you're rolling some music right now, we'll be listening to Blackwater. This is a song by a band called Tigerline, which is terrific. So hopefully you can get some stuff that you like and support some of the bands that you love. And a small business like Tooth and Nail, you know, these small businesses are going to have a hard time. So support the things you can that you love and care about, like this podcast or them or anything where you feel like the money's going to who you care about that creates things that you like. That'd be Tooth and Nail, Solid State, BEC. Um, They've got gospel songs. The stores are loaded up with vinyl, shirts, box sets, digital downloads, you name it. Go to toothandnailrecords.merchnow.com and grab something while you can. Okay, it's pretty smooth so far on this live broadcast. We've hit the intro and the ad, and I already see Tom up in the window. So let's see if he can unmute and if we can hear him, yep. and he can hear us. Is that me. right, Tom? You hear us? Yeah, I can hear you. Can you, can you guys hear me? Yes, yeah, absolutely. Sure nice and smooth. Perfect. All right. Well, uh, Tom, let's, uh, let's just really quickly, I, you know, I think the thing to, to jump into here is everybody has been flooded with data and the word data. I mean, it's been increasing like unbelievable over the last, I would say, decade or so. But in the last mm-hmm. uh, ten weeks or so, even even more so, given that we've had this global situation, and all anybody can talk about is the data, and it seems like it seems to matter a ton, but nobody has any agreement on it, or knows what they're talking about, or how to talk about it, or you know, it's everybody feel we don't. I don't know that we have good data or don't. So I thought it yeah. might be interesting to talk to somebody. And you're a, you're a bad Christian listener and kind of familiar with the show. So I thought it might be interesting oh, yeah. to have you on. Yeah, I've, uh, gosh, I've been listening to you guys since I was like a teenager, obviously. So <laughs> probably, probably wasted a couple of nights crying over a girl listening to a memory song or something like that. <laughs> Tom uh, hit me up when I was doing the thing where I was recording my voice 24 hours a day. And he said, there's so much you could do with the data on that. He said, what do you want to measure and track? I said, I don't know, but it just seems so cool. But we never really came up with anything. But Tom was uh, paying attention even back then. So thought it'd be finally time to get him on to talk about some other stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Even when, even back then when we were talking, I think like my idea was like, oh, record whatever it is that you do and say, and then we'll we'll find ways to like flag that stuff. And uh, I think just even even in the span of that last two years since we started talking, that I think like 
machine learning has caught up in so many ways, being able to parse natural language in ways that we probably wouldn't have thought possible even two years ago. Um, so the pace of this stuff is just unbelievable. Yeah, well, that's what that's what just seems so weird about it is how is anybody supposed to keep up? But you're somebody that seems to understand it on a pretty deep level. Can you tell us how you got into data science or data, is data visualization specifically? Um, yeah. Isn't that like the hottest career that pays the most that everybody wants to go to school and get hired by all the companies for? It, it's pretty high up there. Um, so you have like within the data environment, you have a couple of different jobs. And I'll, I'll mention my background here in a second. But Essentially, you have, uh, you have data scientists, and those are the people that are taking small data sets and then running them through um, test scripts, essentially, to come up with results. Um, so think of it like you know doing a fifth-grade science experiment. You have a control group and a, and a group that's new data, and you test them against one another and see what comes out. Um, so that's what data scientists are doing. They're generally the highest paid because that's really hard work. Um, but then that moves over to... My team, what I do is it harder is than coal miner? Uh, no, because you just sit at the desk all day. <laughs> so maybe those people should be getting paid more. But um, uh, so data scientists will then kick over their results to the data visualization team and will help to make sense of it. Um, so you know you might get data results back for I don't know in big data you might be working with like a million data points, and um, it's just not reasonable for a human being to read all of those million data points and make sense of it. it takes too much time and it's um the 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 outcomes are not immediately obvious and so um they kick that over to the visualization team and we turn that into what people generally understand is like line charts bar charts pie or uh, pie charts graphs blah 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 um there's another role even in between those two groups which is called etl and this is kind of getting into the weeds but uh, extraction, transformation, loading. Basically, their whole job is to take whatever language happens over in the data science team and translate it into what the, the data visualization team looks like. So generally speaking, when, when we talk about like data people, um, it might look like one person is doing the thing, but there's a long pipeline of like 18 different people doing everything. Just like any career, you know, everyone thinks that the doctor does everything, but it's like, no, there's a nurse and then there's, you know, uh, cleaning staff and all these other things that help it all kind of run. So um, in terms of my background, um, I stumbled into this in a really weird roundabout way. I, I did my undergrad in environmental science. And while I was getting my degree there, I learned a lot about um, data visualization via mapping. And so um, I decided like, oh, I really want to make maps. Maps are really cool. And uh, so I went to school to go um, and get my master's in urban planning. While I was there in an art school, I started to discover I actually really liked art and creative uh, endeavors. So I started creating not just maps and visualizations, but visualizations that kind of doubled as art or kind of sat in the middle of those two things. Um, ultimately, I ended up getting hired from my architecture firm out of grad school where they had me working with this tool called Tableau, which is what I work with now. And that's a data visualization engine. So I sit in this weird kind of in-between world of very scientific, grabbing data, we call it wrangling it, but getting it, wrangling it, cleaning it, making sense of it. And then this very artistic world, which is like all about human perception, human psychology around how we understand colors and size um, and using those kind of art theory elements to make sense of these numbers.
Mm-hmm. Because obviously reading data is, I mean, the truth is even when we see it visually, it's completely ambiguous, it seems. Like that's become increasingly frustrating is if even when I think I understand something, other people go, oh, that doesn't make sense or that's a stupid chart or that's not even good anyway. So much oh, less the raw data, even the charts everybody seems to be fighting about now. And you mentioned it earlier. I mean, with with COVID right now, <laughs> I can't mention. I can't. I I can't tell you how many stupid charts I've seen in the last ten weeks. Like, just a flat out lies, but also then b just people that have no business visualizing this stuff. I think that's the other half of it. There's a lot of people that have the ability to visualize things. We say this in the industry a lot. Excel is the best worst thing that ever happened. Because it gives people the ability to connect to data and make sense of it on the fly at, at however they want. But there's also no bumpers. There's no guardrails. So, like, if you write some stupid calculation that tells you that the world's going to end in three days, there's nothing going to stop you. And it sounds um, official because it came from data or exactly. is on a chart or on a graph or something. And that's what really hurts for somebody like me. That's what really hurts me respecting or understanding or feeling that data is valid in general. Like if you're making, if you're spending the real time to make a real graph and have have real numbers and have spent the time to do it properly, but somebody else can do it in a few minutes just to prove what they their agenda or something like that, then it makes me go, well, who's telling the truth? I don't know. And, and, exactly. and all I see is a chart. I don't see the person or know anything about it. And and I guess that I mean that's probably one of the big things even with the internet is people use those charts very quickly to uh, you know. Politicians will use some chart or, or somebody famous will use some graph or something like that to say, hey, hey, this is what they're saying. And then you, the, the retraction is almost nothing or there's no apology or anything. So right. where's the current? Go, go ahead. ahead. No, you go ahead. So there, there's, a current, there's a current problem right now with particularly the COVID crisis that kind of orbits around the sense that there is data out there. Not all of it's good, but some of it is good. And some of us have all found Let's slow down. That, how how yeah. can data be good or bad? Okay. What does that even question? mean? So um, right now I have a dashboard that's connected to some COVID data and it's coming from Johns Hopkins. So like reputable education um, institution, um, it's being collected by medical professionals um, and it's being cleansed by someone else. So when I connect to it, I have some level of expectation that the data is good um, because it was generated by someone that's, that's trustworthy. There is a ton of data out on the web that you don't know the author of. Uh, it, it, I don't know. It's a bit like it's a bit like um, if you're going to get a prescription, you want to get it from a doctor, and you want to know that the FDA approved it. Kind of the same thing with data. You want to know who the author was. You want to know who cleansed it, and you want to know that it was collected in good faith, right. uh, meaning that you didn't like sneakily take it from someone. Mm-hmm. Um, what's happening right now in the COVID crisis is people are just trying to find whatever data they can. When someone does find a good data set, the next temptation is with Twitter, Facebook, all these other things. If you create the next, like blow everyone's mind data viz on this thing, it goes viral overnight and you become famous or at bare minimum, you can get a pay raise or you can get a bunch of job offers. Oh, um, so you mean like the, the, okay, so first of all, you sent me a mm-hmm. dashboard, that's what you call it, that you yep. made of COVID. If we have that, if we could put the link up in the live or in the description here. But I found that thing amazing, so I'm, I'm looking at it now. But it's, uh, it's 
you're saying for somebody in your field, just working at a company, if you were to, to make something that blew up and got retweeted a hundred thousand times and the president uses mm-hmm. it or so people use it or whatever, and it's really useful, you're saying that's, you're incentivized to do that just on your own because that then that you can get a whole career based off that, get a raise, promotion? Yeah. It's kind of like going viral on YouTube for something, you know, like there's no guarantee that that's going to happen, but everyone's kind of clamoring for that because it's the internet and people want to get famous. Well, that's and what's so, crazy. It's like a creative thing when I think, cause it isn't yeah. based out of art, you know, it's a, mm-hmm. it's a graphic design, but it's an art form to both choose the data, what's important and then visualize it in a way that clicks and it can go it can go viral it can be big just like it can be catchy it's basically being catchy because when i look at this chart i go oh well i understand something now i have three questions and i think i realized something i knew something i got to retweet this it's that same energy that like a a good hook in a song it'll go from being like yeah that sounds good to i'm i gotta share this so and i i think i'm fast when it comes to this stuff but i I spent two weeks building that thing because i wanted to make sure that it was ethical that it was saying the right thing um, I had a lot of really cool insights that I wasn't sure were right, and so I decided not to show them because I didn't, didn't know if they were true or not. Um, with this idea of like rush to market, that's where a lot of bad ideas come from. And unfortunately, there are still people in, in our industry right now that are rushing to market on stuff because they want to get famous or they want to get noticed or whatever. And it's detrimental to people that just re- click re- retweet or or share on Facebook without really reading stuff. I guess that interfaces with journalism in just the same way that they're yeah. they're they're incentivized to just do just low quality uh, clickbait superficial yep. stuff because it can help them and then they're therefore the the long source trusted journalism is kind of goes away. So it's, just, yep, it's exactly. the same pressure in this field. And it's maybe only like 5 to 10% of people that are are sharing this kind of stuff but much like with journalism, if a couple of bad actors do it, everyone kind of feels pushed to do it. And then on top of that, it also gives a bad name to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. I've never thought about it this way, but you're right. It really is clickbait just the same way as the title of a blog post says, yeah. everybody's dead. Mm-hmm. And you go, oh, I got to find out. And they go, well, oh. <laughs> and they just meant like, you know, something completely different or whatever. Like it's just the that clickbait title. I guess you're right with the, a graph or a chart or something like that. It, they can – they they are skirting the real work of it to get the effect that they want for viewership, I guess, as opposed right. to real data finds. A practical then, version then, of that would be what we're talking about here for clickbait is how steep is the damn curve. Like a mm-hmm. curve that looks like goes like kind of flat and two of them, one's higher than the other based on how you scale it. It's not so super exciting, but if it says deaths and it, go, and it mm-hmm. has a big steep parabolic curve to it, there you go. So if you could lay out your graph that way, there you are. That's much better. And so one of one of the things that I've seen a couple of people do to just try and say it a different way is they've actually done it on a log scale, log base ten. So like the idea is like one to the power of of ten is ten, um, one to the power of two, like so forth and so on. So you go up from one to ten in your first increment, then you go ten to a hundred in your next, then a hundred to a thousand, and then mm-hmm. so forth and so on. What that does is when you have this like super steep curve, it actually ends up plotting it as a straight line. Okay, so um, and that's, let me get that. Sorry, I'm sorry to slow you down on many things. Mm-hmm. No, but no, no. It's um, you're saying that uh, if what's the other kind? Log is the one where it goes exponential in its yeah. increments, and the other one would yeah. be normal. What was the normal one? Yeah, called? just like a standard standard a, a standard curve. We go ten, twenty, thirty, forty, not 
10, 100. So you're saying that that super steep exponential curve that everybody knows exactly what it looks like, if you plot that mm -hmm. on a logarithmic scale, it looks like yep, a, straight a nice straight line slope. Yep. Okay. And, and that's just the difference in which way you about, set it. Okay. Yeah, exactly. If you're sneaky about labeling your axis or you don't label it correctly, you can get away with a bunch of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and I think a lot of people are well-meaning when they do something like that. Or like in our field, like we're used to seeing something like that because what it helps us to then be able to do is catch nuances in the higher registries. So like if the slope slightly dips at like a hundred thousand, you're not going to notice that in a, in a normal curve because the curve is so freaking steep. But if you plot it as a flat line, you can notice some more of the nuance at the top end problem. there also being though, if like no people don't know what to look for or don't know how to read that, then they'll make their own assumptions and that's extremely dangerous. Um, and so generally speaking, I think we always have to play, I say play to the lowest common denominator. Assume that your reader knows nothing. Assume that they, they don't know much about math. Um, and then make something that communicates to everyone. That's that's the best sign of a good data visualization. It works for everybody. Okay. So on this e one, even for you, made, like, or would you prefer something more in depth? Like, did the data guys like, <laughs> ah, that's that's for the public. For us, let's get real sure. serious. So in my in my day job, I make things that are too complicated for the analysts occasionally. So I do have to walk some stuff back. Um, but generally speaking. Uh, when we build stuff, at least in my line of work, when we build stuff, people always want to slice it by everything. You know, well, what if I want to see it just by male and female? Well, what if I just want to see it by age brackets? Well, what if I, what if I only want to see it on Thursdays? Um, people are always asking for ways to see it in a slightly different way. Um, there are really cool ways to visualize that, but as soon as you start visualizing four or five, six things into one thing, uh, it becomes almost impossible for the normal person to kind of make sense of it. Right. Um, I can make sense of those kinds of things, but generally speaking, normal, you know, everyday people that aren't trained in this would have a really hard time. So on your COVID-19, you focused on cases in the United States. The main things you mm -hmm. got here is cases compared to the world and then total cases versus new cases uh, mm -hmm. in the U.S. So I want you to explain both of those. And then you have a very awesome visual, which you have all the states there uh, mm -hmm. in, in a little iconic form with the numbers of cases uh, the new cases and total cases in each state. And as soon as I look at it, I'm just immediately struck with, oh my gosh, these, some of these states are horrible. Who are these people? What's wrong <laughs> with them? Like, I have all these opinions all of a sudden that I would yeah. never have from looking at an Excel sheet. One of the best parts is if you look at that, West Virginia is doing really well. So I know that a lot of people have opinions about West Virginia, but no cases there. So yeah. if you're looking to move, it's a good place to go. Um, no, so the uh, so the two line charts that I have in there, one's comparing the U.S. to the rest of the world. So first decision that I made when I connected to this data, again, from John Hopkins, um, I decided, hey, I live in the United States, and I know the United States pretty well. As a citizen here and as someone else has studied urban planning, I know state governance better than probably the average person. I know a lot about cities. Um if I was going to make this thing about England, I couldn't even tell you the individual provinces of England off the top of my head. So I felt uncomfortable making any sort of suggestions about other countries other than my own in this particular case. So I was like, right off the bat, let's just say U.S. against other countries' total cases. Um, what that also really quickly tells most users is, here's how many cases the U.S. has against everybody else. So roughly how many cases are, is the U.S. accounting for globally? Um, 
there's probably a better way that I could have visualized that. But again, people like to be able to see that curve a, that feels kind of aesthetically pleasing to see that like bent curvy shape. People yeah. tend to like that. Um, but then on top of that, like it's something that people are comfortable because they've been seeing or comfortable with because they've been seeing it in the news everywhere. So I could have gone with a different visual, but it would have probably been jarring to people because it's not in a format that they're used to seeing. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing to keep in mind with both of those, the human mind or the human uh, eye perception, I guess, for lack of a better term, uh, is really bad at knowing like whether something is bigger or smaller. That We know whether something is bigger or smaller, but to what degree. Um so line charts are also kind of helpful for that in that sense. Uh, if I gave you like a circle and a slightly larger circle, you couldn't tell me that the slightly larger circle is 1.1 times bigger than the other one. Mm-hmm. Our, our brains are just not very good at that. But we're really good at saying like, hey, that line is slightly less steep than the other line. That means something's going on here. Mm-hmm. Um, second line chart is all about um, new cases versus um, total cases. And I think that also is really important for perspective because it lets us know, are we slowing down? Are we speeding up? And then in terms of what's happening today or what's happened just yesterday, how does that compare across the entire crisis? Yes. And so what, what do you, when you look at that, when you see the blue line at the bottom saying still, and then the, the gray line, you know, pulling away from it, what does that tell us? So generally speaking, the gray line pulling away is to be expected because we're talking about compounding every day. We're getting more and more cases. Um, so what I'm ultimately looking for is for both lines to start to slope off. But as soon as the blue line starts sloping more, um, we're talking about, OK, we're really starting to pull back. What's kind of interesting is day to day that line sometimes dips negative. So occasionally a couple of days in the last couple of weeks, we've actually had fewer cases on a given day than we did the previous day. Now, granted, you got to take that with a grain of salt. Uh, there are not testing cases, or there are not testing kits in a lot of states, and there are a lot of people that probably have it that aren't getting tested. Again, we're just working with the data that we have available. It, so, is that is that part frustrating? That's one of the things for oh, me. Yeah. Like, like it, it seems like, especially in this instance, particularly, the data is just. Uh, the most bizarre things I feel like, if, especially if I go on social media or something like that, I'm mm-hmm. seeing unbelievable amounts of opposing ideas. It seems like the worst thing ever. And then the next person goes, we're back to work soon. Or like, I mean, it's crazy. It has to be for you. Like, I mean, the, do you actually, the data you're getting, I know you're working, you know, like some of the data is from John Hopkins. You're trying to find the best data you can, but does, how unreliable do you feel like you feel like even when you're making these charts and graphs you're feeling on shaky ground so uh what i said earlier about um not wanting to publish some things that i created so i do have access to data on deaths and i could very easily say here's the number of deaths and here's the total number of cases that means the mortality rate on this virus is that that's a pretty easy calculation yeah it'd be scary and catchy too and i wish i could see yeah Here's the thing, though, is like if we don't know the number of cases where people have recovered and they didn't know that they had it, um, and we also can assume that there's probably some cases where people died and they didn't know they had it, but that's probably much smaller than the number mm-hmm. of people that have had it and didn't get tested. I, I wasn't comfortable publishing it because it, it, it's just not representative of probably what's actually happening. So what's the problem there? We're saying that, you know what I think is a problem? I'll put it this way, and you tell me what, what sense it makes from, from your point of view. But I keep, when they keep, they come out with something the other day that makes it look, oh, I know what it is. They're saying that it's 
probably likely that way more people have it that are asymptomatic. And yeah. there was something that mm-hmm. said that it could be up to like 80% of people are asymptomatic, which I mean, there's so many more cases. And the end result being that the mortality rate is super low compared to what we think about. And I immediately mm-hmm. said, no, 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 that's terrible, terrible. Everybody's <laughs> going to misinterpret that so badly if that's true. That is such no, bad. That's that so that is bad. so funny because I went out exactly. I was yeah. like, yeah, I bet that's right. And then we were blowing up a big, we made a yes. big deal out of nothing. I know, no, no. <laughs> But see, that's wrong. That's so wrong because exactly. what, what that means is that the – okay, the problem with that is everybody thinks that's good news, but the deaths are it still going to be what they are, and that just means that you think that's good news. So you say to yourself, oh, the death rate's much lower, but that's not going to prevent any deaths. The fact yeah. that that's true, and it will make everybody then go, oh, it's less to be scared of. We don't need to worry about it, which is just going to cause more deaths. Are you familiar with the the frog in the pot uh, analogy? Yes, if, like put it in there, it won't hop out as you increase the water temperature. Exactly. So like you if, think if about they like, t- yeah. Go ahead. I, I don't. I don't want to sound insensitive, but like you think about the number of uh, American lives lost from nine eleven compared to already how many lives COVID's taken. COVID is now well beyond nine eleven. It is now I think over ten. Mm-hmm. I don't know exactly, but over ten nine elevens. And we have people that are like, it's not that bad. And I'm like, how yeah, many trillions yeah, of dollars They'll counter that by like saying, it looks like the death rate's only 0. 0.6. Okay. Oh, my gosh. But if that doesn't, it's still, we're just still getting going on the deaths either way. Yeah. So you thinking that means it's not bad just is going to lead to more behavior that causes deaths. And right. knuckleheads that say that I'm yeah. like, put 0. 0.6 and multiply that by 330 right. million Americans. Right. That's well, huge. Okay. Let, let me speak for the everyman then, which is me. <laughs> Y'all sound so Grim Reaper right now. It's just so scary. I just hate it. But the reason it feels that way is because if you look at a, I just look, and this data could be totally wrong. I I have zero information of, uh, I don't have zero recollection of what uh, site I went to, but it said normally about seven or 8,000 people die a day in America anyway. Mm-hmm. Like they like they die that much anyway. Mm-hmm. So we're we're traveling less. We are doing less. That even the actual flu might go down. The normal flu, where lots of times I think like in 2018, 200,000 people died maybe from the normal flu. Right. So the problem is it you we have been so trained to be insensitive to death because it yeah. happens so much and you see it constantly. I mean, it, it's really funny. I was talking with my wife. You know how many times on the news there always is a uh, father of five passed away today unexpectedly. And you're like, ah, oh, yeah, that's really sad. And you move on and you look back to Facebook or whatever, right? Now I see father of five dies and I go, how old was he? Because uh, I might die. And so I'm, that, the only reason I care is because I might die. Mm-hmm. But but with what y'all yes. were saying. Uh, yes, right, you're right. on the right so, track. So, so, but, but I want to get back to what y'all were saying. Y'all are saying that we are misinterpreting what that stuff means. But my point is, is it, why would you say if 80% of people have, are asymptomatic potentially or not worth, not, it's not going to even cause too much problems mm-hmm. with them. That mm-hmm. is good news, right? Why, for why for any say, one individual who may get COVID in the future, that would be good news. For 80% of America, right? The, no, yeah, the, individually. How, how am I misinterpreting the data is what I'm getting? Like, why, why, right. why would I be hopeful and y'all would be not okay, hopeful? Okay, because when you hear that 80% of cases are asymptomatic, you're saying, oh, when I get this damn thing, there's a g- really good chance I'm Hell in the clear. Yeah. So let's, oh, yeah. let's, let's re- let the economy reopen. But isn't that true? 
It's true. Except for the death rate. Even if the death rate is 0.6, and please do that, Tom, if you don't mind. Yeah, exactly. If that is true. Don't do it, Tom. Don't don't break my heart. And everybody acts on that exact impulse at the same time without considering what it means. It means how many people die in America. You're saying because if we were to, for example, go back to work, try and go back to normalcy, the death rate, obviously, social distancing does seem to be working. We would, if we if we were careless with it, then the number of people that died would right. Be like horrific, well, let's maybe. just say fifty percent of the population gets. I don't know what calculations right. Tom's running, but right. half of the population got it, and point six of them die. How many is that? Tom, did so you just half, do some calculations? Half, populi- <laughs> half the population got it, uh, and the mortality rate was point six. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're talking about blowing up one whole Cincinnati, where I'm from. Oh, How God. many people is that? Uh, a million. A million people would die if that were true, you know. But and that's good. Right. Everybody's glad that the that the mortality rate's lower than not lower. That's not that's not in question. Of course, a lower one's better than the other. But the the the, the how you look at the number and what you do with it and what you what you're measuring it against is what matters. And obviously, right. deaths matter more than anything. No, they do. So uh, so if but that's the, the yeah. So what well, are I we supposed that, to track? I don't. I mean, that's what I'm right. saying. Like, what? How yeah. can we and measure this thing? What are we it's, even it's trying to measure? It's particularly frustrating for most people, including myself, because so as I was just saying, like, so I made an assumption. I made an assumption that there are 330 million people in the United States. I think it's more than that at the moment, but I made an assumption that there's 330 million in the United States, and I made an assumption that 0.6 percent of them would die if they got this. That doesn't account for the fact that there's far more people than that that actually have immunocomp- or are immunocompromised. Um, it doesn't account for age. It doesn't account for gender. We don't know if this has a particular bend towards a particular race. Um, we're not adjusting for poverty levels, so people that do have health care versus Or don't. medical overwhelm. Either. And when we start to talk about all of yeah. these things, people get frustrated because they're like, well, then no one can know, so I'm just going to retreat back to my, to right. my respective camp of belief. And I think that's what's hard is like I, you know, we could throw a million numbers out. We can create the most convincing uh, graphics. At the end of the day, uh, once we get into the the weeds about the specifics, everyone just gets lost. Yeah. Well, well, how about like so? One one of the things that has really bothered me or concerned me, for example, um, like my wife's uh, job was supposed to have a meeting today, and I was like. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and they canceled the meeting, but I was like, what is coming? And I know I have several friends that have been laid off and all this stuff. So I have never in my life ever moved so quickly from, oh, no, there's a disease I might get to, oh, no, I'm going to die from not having money. Like it went, <laughs> it, I, I mean, I've never moved so quickly to a separate death that is equally or worse as bad. Like that happened within about a week or two. At yeah. the beginning of one week, I was like, oh, my God, this new virus, what is it going to do to people? I'm so worried, too. Oh, God, this we've got to make some money and stuff like that. So everybody, so when, when you do see the data and you hear even those numbers, it, it's, it, it is more sobering when you say one million people. That, that resonates with me stronger when you when you say something like 0.6 of a population, you go, oh, maybe, yeah, because you know, that's that point less than 1% chance I die. No big uh, that, deal. That's yeah. less but than 1%. Let me argue that million number would still be very low because if a million people 
died, that would mean the cases is, uh, again, 150 million, and the hospitalization rate right. is like 10% of those sure. or more, right. and then the, there's no medical care for all those people. Then the death rate actually goes to something like 10%. Yeah, right. and that, so, that's so the whole like you think in point six is, is good news, in. and right. then exactly. acting on it would cause could cause a couple million deaths. <laughs> so, is it, how but is how many good? deaths does a Great Recession cause? Oh, I don't know. I'm not even weighing that, but that's what. Yeah, Tom, I know, would you, but like, why wouldn't you weigh it though? That's what I'm saying. I don't, like, I you, don't know how to. That's what I'm. That's yeah, what I'm no, asking. I don't, I don't think know. anyone knows how to. I think, how how so would you? Yeah. This is the the other line of work that I used to work in. So, like I said, I got my master's in urban planning. While I was working in my old job, which is an architecture firm, they do a lot of urban planning as well. Um, they built this program called Rely, and it's all around um, helping cities and buildings and public spaces plan for the worst case scenario. Um, most of it's focused on climate change, um, which I also have expertise in, but that's for another day and another time. Um, the climate's better at least, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. That, oh, my gosh. I retweeted. I think, Matt, you, you maybe liked it on my Twitter the other day. There is a there's a visualization of of emissions over China when this whole thing happened, and it is mind blowing. Really, CO two levels just plummet. Wow, just absolutely drop. It is mind blowing to me. Um, Before anyway, we even sorry, move yeah. out of this exact territory, though, if we're going to look at the virus in general, all these new data sets are coming out. Is there anybody? Is there a th- like? Is there a way, like if we want to measure how bad it is, it's such a broad question. When everybody talks about how bad it is, nobody's even talking about the same thing. Is there a suggestion or in the quantifiable community of nerds that like numbers, is there an actual one data point that we would track that anybody could even begin to agree on? That's the one that we decide is bad or not. Is it not deaths? Is that not the uh, one? I mean, what what are we tracking? What is it? How do you measure how bad a thing is? The S and P five hundred, <laughs> right? I mean, how do you measure it? <laughs> I mean, it's either it's either grandma's dying or the stock market. Right, so right. pick one. My four hundred one k, send them back. Uh, yeah, I I mean, but like, so people gravitate towards that again because like I can understand a line. But you're focused on cases, for instance, though. Like, is that you think that's the most important thing that everybody should be worried about total cases and how fast they're growing? I think so. I think so. um, The other part of that dashboard, which I I didn't talk about earlier, um, is um, what I call hex uh, hex maps. So, uh, in the normal United States, it's really hard to see certain states like uh, Massachusetts or Rhode Island because they're super tiny. Um, so we generalize their location with these tiny little hex shapes and, um, it helps to be able to see all 50 states at the same time Mm -hmm. because you can then see all 50 states at the same time. Um, and they're equal size. Um, it doesn't make, for instance, a giant red Wyoming more scary than a giant red Rhode Island. Right. Um, Right. So size right there gets taken out. That's where we're talking about like human psychology again around art. We want to, make it size agnostic. So everyone sees the same thing. Uh, the next thing is I've set the cap at, um, at 10,000 cases to show as bright orange. Um, again, my main reasoning behind that, if I went on a scale, let's just say that we said, Hey, whatever state has the most cases, let's make that at the top of the scale. and We'll make that one orange. And then all other states to the degree that they are related to that one, we'll make them various degrees of colors. 
The problem with that is New York is so much further out ahead of every other state that all other states would be blue mm-hmm. in that chart. And everyone else would look at that and say, like, oh, well. Only one bad place. Right. Yeah, only one bad place. There's nothing wrong with my And that's state. just based on your color gradient you chose after you'd done all the other data. That would right. that would hugely impact the takeaways. I from probably your, have to stuff. adjust it um, at some point because soon 10,000 cases is going to be like, well, everyone has 10,000 cases. So then mm-hmm. the whole map's on fire, and we don't want that either. Um, in statistics, geospatial statistics, there's different ways of breaking up these groupings. Um, and I, I'm not implementing any of those right now because people wouldn't understand them. We could put them in buckets and say, like, the, the bottom 20% of states, they're all blue. The middle 20%, they're like uh, a light yellow. And then the top 20% are, are, are dark orange. That, that might be helpful. But then again, we could still have cases where, like, the bottom 20% states could be just barely behind the next set. Mm-hmm. And they would be cool. And it would lead people into like a false sense of security or something like that. It's so so funny. color it, really matters. Look, looking at this though, it's like it. It feels like uh, Matt. I think you said this earlier. It gives me. I don't know if it just. It gives me some kind of uh, reinforcement of. I, I'm looking at this data and using it wrong to think <laughs> it, 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 for my own personal life. Like, for you look example, at it and think my, uh, Michigan; those are bad people. Yeah, I think. I think oh yeah, uh, I've been to Louisiana. I, it's sweaty. I've seen what they've done. You know where I need to go? Oh, yeah. Alaska. They 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 got 23 new cases and uh, only 213. And I'm like, because everybody's already na- basically distancing anyway. You know what I mean? They're all living out oh, there. Yeah. And, oh, man, that's the safe place to be. Like, it makes me think about safety in cities. Like, right now, when I look at this, I go, New York City, dangerous, bad. Yep. Don't go there. And, and, to judge people's hearts. Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> Sinners. And you can, you can use it in opposite directions too, right? So like, let's, let's, we'll get political just for a hot second. So Louisiana shot up like a bottle rocket in the last week. And the main reason why is because despite recommendations, the governor decided not to cancel Mardi Gras. Yeah. So a bunch of people came in from Mardi Gras. They all partied. And then they all got sick. But they all got sick like 14 days later because of the maturation period. Right. So Louisiana's got a really bad case right now because they didn't shut down sooner of course to all of the the liberal individuals in the room they're like stupid louisiana and their governor not listening to to common reasoning but then on the flip end of that everyone that falls into kind of the conservative buckets is looking at new york and saying like see they think they're all uppity and that they've got everything all figured out it's exploding there so what you think was going to happen? Thing. All those people living on top of each other in those little boxes. That's what my dad was exactly. saying. Yeah, they, uh, so people just happen? use it to reinforce their biases or their opinions. I don't, and sometimes it just is used to reinforce racism. It, 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 that that's dangerous too. Uh, it, you're right. I mean, that, that's exactly like I uh, on our text thread. Matt and I are on a text thread with some friends, and, and several of them live in Washington. I go, well, those Washington bastards <laughs> gave it to all of us. There's the so, oh, so, 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 yeah the anti-vaxxers and the Seattle people <laughs> who are so smart. It, the first case was in Everett, Washington, if I'm right, and now mm. we, now it's everywhere. Now I look at a chart and it's everywhere. So who is the problem here? I, yeah. I'm I've been calling it the Washington flu. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> and your your chart gives a whole new meaning to red state blue state. Yeah, it totally does. does. Yeah, it does. It's way, it's a, Washington is a red state right now in your in your in New York and all that stuff. I mean, it's really crazy. I will say this: one of the things that's neat about this, and maybe this is your creative mind. I was thinking, like the way you are giving this information is so clear to me. Like it, it, I might be using it improperly or <laughs> it, it's, it's scaring me, you know, like it, it, like it, it, it's helping me realize my own fears, my own biases, all that stuff. But it, it's interesting. Like the colors you use, like you, you really are taking that into consideration the same way as I'm a songwriter. I, I'm going to write a song or the same, the same way as somebody knows a, uh, a, uh, like happy birthday, they don't even realize mm-hmm. it, but they they know what a major second interval is. Happy mm-hmm. birthday, to, you know what I mean? Like they, like you are doing something that is artistic, and nobody thinks data is artistic, but but in fact, it might be the most important thing to uh, translating information, right? Absolutely. So the majority of my coworkers come from more of a computer science background. They know way more about computers and like actual. Um, the actual like uh, flow of data and how to like process it, access it, get into the back end of computers, just like hacker stuff that I'm like, good for you. I, <laughs> I yeah. can't do that. Um, but what I, what I often do, at least in my own team and my own job currently, I usually slot in as kind of the UI developer. Um, to me, it's really important that, and, and this was my goal too when I built this dashboard, to me, it's always really important that I want to give people the resources to, to access the information that they're after. Um, the real impetus behind all of this, I saw a lot of other people making a dashboard like this, and it's not like this thing's gone viral. I think I have like 600 views on it right now. Maybe it'll have more after this. But um, uh, but my, my whole idea behind this is like my sister texted me, and she's like, hey, is, is there a place where I can go to just know how many cases there ha- happened today versus yesterday? And I was like, yeah. You know, I, I don't think so. And right. if there is, like, it's going to be on MSNBC or it's going to be on Fox News or something. And then you're going to have to wade through, you know, the political ranting and um, uh, someone's political biases, whatever end of the spectrum. And so you know, when I posted this out to just friends initially, I said, like, here it is. Here's information. Make sense of it however you feel comfortable. Everything that I've given on here I'm comfortable with. And I feel like you can't make too many jumps to come up with some crazy idea out of. Right. Um, and it cuts through the noise. It doesn't give you any opinions. It doesn't tell you what to think. It lets you form your own opinions. And that, to me, was the most important thing. So that's where I would want to go next with this. Is it really it's adding more fuel to the real dissonance I'm having in life at this stage of my life, which is, I guess, people and humans now have access to so much power, information, and stuff that... It's too. We don't seem to be able to handle it because it's very obvious mm-hmm. that you could take this and rearrange the something like the same data and rearrange the colors differently, and add any kind of commentary or framing to it to really make an evil point or a scary point or a harmful point. And so you have all this responsibility just to plot some data. You now could, and then you think about Russian propaganda and political ramifications and every single thing that can be done in this information age. Of course, we got nuclear problems. Of course, we got viral problems. Of course, we got all this stuff because of what humans do and can do. And the information one is the scariest really of all. It might be our new wars and everything are fought on this front. And so it puts us in this place that's driving me insane where 
I want to say that I just want the information and I just want to know the truth the way I want to know it and then trust me to handle it. But on the other hand, I'm, I feel this constant and, and in line with that, I feel constant like, like authorities and systems and institutions and the WHO and all these people are not telling me the truth and they are lying to me with what yeah. information they give and how they present it. And I don't believe that it's very, I find it just so hypocritical that people try to guide you into what they want you to believe. But on the other hand, if you just let it rip with everybody having all the data and all the information, it can be so dangerous. So do I, do we yeah. need other people that are smarter and better than us that are authorities to, to only give us certain data? I mean, Man, what, what are we supposed to so do? That's so hard. Um, I mean, I, I don't want the dumb to people to misinterpret yeah. data and make fake news with it. I don't want that. So should we... I mean, is it dangerous? Like, we need to uh, regulate who can have what data? I mean, what, yeah, what the I hell mean, is going to happen? That's a good idea, too. Uh, so there's a couple of things on that. We can touch on a couple. One thing I wanted to just mention quickly. So one of the groups that I started with when I started learning Tableau, the software that I use, um, uh, is it, uh, they're called Makeover Mondays. So they're a group out of the U.K. They have a, a school. It's basically like a... Um, like a vocational type school. You go there for a little while, get trained in how to do data visualization. You get uh, embedded with a client or a company for a year to like kind of learn on the job and then you can go off and do whatever. Um, and they host this project every single Monday for the last four or five years where they host a public data set and anyone is welcome and open to grab the data set and visualize it. Some of it's kind of heavy topics. Other times it's like prices of beer at ballparks over the years or whatever. Um, so it kind of ranges in scope and size. But the great thing about that group is that they've democratized the essence of, of data visualization. There's hardcore artists on there that are creating beautiful works of art. And then there are baseline analysts that are basically making charts and graphs that you would see in a typical corporate report. Um, but what's beautiful is everyone's working with the same data set. And so when someone does something wrong or misses something, we can all point it out to the, to the group and say, like, hey, you missed this or I don't think you interpreted this quite right. Um, but it's all a safe space. Um, and they are really, really pushing the boundaries on what um, the data community should act and look like. Uh, it's funny, lots of people complain about Twitter being like a, a, a terrible place if you have an opinion. Um, at least in that subsect of Twitter, which I spend the majority of my time, people are really kind and nice. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm hoping that that kind of grows and builds more. Outside of that world, however, um, when we look at something like uh, Facebook or Google or any of these large companies that collect a lot of consumer information in the background, um, lots of nefarious stuff going on. Like, no doubt about it. Yeah, it's like oh, ethics man. of is it. I mean, is anybody that's capable of accessing these data sets and visualizing it and tweeting it, they should have to take something like the Hippocratic Oath to do no harm with it, right? Because you say it's an art form, but somebody can be the Eli Roth of this stuff and make graphs that scare the hell out of grandparents that or whatever. I mean, you you could do you can politically right. manipulate people unbelievable to the, everybody's detriment. You can make half the country think it ain't no big deal. So or I'm somebody, not wild about yeah. I'm not wild about guns. And a, a while back, there was a pretty big school shooting, and I decided to visualize some data on on guns. And the data that I found uh, ended up surprising me. The majority, the large, large, large majority of gun-related deaths are actually suicide. The vast majority. Um, and the, the percentage that then mass shootings make up is far lower. And I was a little disappointed because the narrative I wanted to push at the time was like, wow. But I Busted, was like, Tom. I, I can't in good faith like push a, a, a wrong narrative. So I just published it. I was like, look, we need to get more serious about 
gun safety because people are killing themselves with these things. Like that's maybe even more important. Right. Uh, and I, like, I just had to be honest with myself. That said, it would have been so easy for me to fake that. And I, I, I'm an ethical person. So I was like, I can't do that. But that's what happens with, I mean, that gun, that's a great one is gun deaths by that, because you would think because the only stuff that gets amplified about gun violence does come from a place for, well, not now, both what you get from gun violence is probably two-sided, of course, but both sides yeah. of a polarized topic are only doing one thing. And so predominantly when you hear about gun violence, the way they count mass shootings is another good example, and the way they display those things, you, you wouldn't know it because the only ones you get are the ones where the data is. I don't know if it's altered, but what what would be the way that you would make it look like suicides were less a big deal? And you, what would be the actual way you'd make it look like gun violence is all these mass shooters and all these other things? I mean, first right out of the bat, like I could just exclude suicide from the chart and just, just note like, it at the wow. bottom. Yeah, Not going right. to show it. Yeah, uh, that that's first. Um, the other way is you could say, um, so violence, that's another thing, right? So like, uh, injuries versus deaths. And then you could, I mean, suicide pretty much has a hundred percent death rate. Uh, mass shootings don't. So if you added just casualties, you could elevate the number of casualties in mass shootings so that it's closer to suicide. So there's ways to like pack numbers in there that is like sneaky. Um, and you can you know, make it red. Yeah, exactly. And then you can make it red, you know, uh, you can use color to evoke an emotion. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, at the end of the day, uh, I, I think it's the same as social media in general. We need to promote literacy around this stuff. Uh, you need to look for who is the author. Uh, if I click on their Twitter profile and I run through all of the other things that they've tweeted, are they valid? Are they using, um, reputable sources, you know, right. The World Health Organization, okay, sure, might have some biases here, but at the same time, largely speaking, it's for the benefit of the of the larger good. And so we should probably put some level of trust in them. Particularly, too, here's the other thing, is if you can find another source that says the same thing. So finding multiple sources, right. all of them being either unbiased or relatively unbiased, if they all say the same thing, um, you're probably good. But, but, look at, but look at it this way, though. Uh, Toby, you're a relatively engaged, middle-of-the-road kind of person who's relatively smart and educated and very... Is Toby going to be our guinea pig now? Yeah, he's the guinea pig. Well, how, many, how many charts have you looked at in the past 60 days, do you think? How many graphs have you seen in the last 60 days? Well, I will say in the in the last uh, three weeks, a lot. I'm not. It's a high number, but yeah, yeah, make yeah. an estimation. Just how many charts do you think you've seen on Twitter and looked at and thought oh, about for a second? Oh, for at least a couple of seconds. Yeah, I, I, would, I would. I mean, in the last few weeks, probably at least 30 or 40. I, just like scrolling through and looking at them. Like, yeah, I, I would say hundreds, uh, you know, in the, oh, in, yeah. the, in the recent weeks. How many sources no. you check? Yes. None. <laughs> <laughs> so what where's the hope there? I mean, I, I don't either. Exactly. Well, it just well, yeah. seems right or doesn't. Yeah. Is that, is that all we've got? Like I don't like that one. Well, it almost seems like an author that needs a bibliography so fast or now. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh technology is booming so fast now that like I, it makes sense I'm I'm a millennial, so like it makes sense to me like oh I'm just going to check my sources. But that that's only because I, like I learned that in the last couple of years. I like I, I look at some things that I posted even I don't know. 10 years ago, back in the early, you know, 2010s, when I was in undergrad and grad school, I, I just kind of posted stuff willy nilly without really checking it either. Um, 
it's definitely a muscle and you have to like work on it. And, but, and I think social media is to, uh, a lot to blame for that because you constantly see some weird article and, uh, you know, fake news, if you will, about yep. something that happened or whatever, or that, you know, I mean, it, like I'm from the South and you'll I always see just crazy posts that I would think anybody would realize is fake, but it's about, you know, some, some amazing miracle, miraculous yep. thing happening <laughs> or something like that. One, one of the things that y'all are bringing up to me that I, gosh, that I, I mean, is really sad and no one saw, I guess, is that how valuable our data is. And we thought it was worthless. I thought my actions online meant nothing to anybody at all, right? Like my, my preference of what site I would go to. You say, who's going to spy on me? Right, right. Oh, yeah. no, but, but what about the, even the fact that I, I would have thought that was worthless to anybody to know? Why, why would you care what sites I went to in a day? What time you went to Costco? You know what I mean? Like that, that almost seems like egotistical to most people. Yeah. I, I don't care. Uh, that inner that interwebs stuff. Uh, get out of here! And now I realize it it might be for the future, especially now. It's even being proven even more the most important thing possible. Like Facebook oh, yeah. should be paying you a lot of money. Facebook oh, yeah. should be paying you. They gave you. I can talk to my aunt Janice. What? <laughs> what? I can talk to my aunt Janice on, uh, on a text, and they stole all my data. I don't know at what point Facebook decided that it didn't care about social media anymore, but it was probably like eight years ago when they realized that they could, they could wow. monetize Wow, I think this. that long? Yeah. I, I think so. Yeah. I mean, what it really boils down to, I, I heard a story the other day. Um, so a lot of grocery stores have those like swipe thing for like your, your ID and then you can get a discount or whatever. Um, there, was a, um, there was a case back in the early 2000s where Target started rolling out a campaign with their, with their, uh, with their data scientists saying, hey, we're going to look at um, the, the buying habits of expecting mothers, and we're going to use that to target expecting mothers with coupons so that they'll buy more crap when they're getting ready to have a yeah. baby. Mm-hmm. And they, one day the store manager had a dad come in and say, like, hey, you've been sending coupons to my household under my daughter's name for pregnancy stuff. She's not pregnant. And the store manager was like, I'm so sorry. We'll get this figured out. Uh, and like a week later, the dad called the store back and said, I owe you an apology. Uh, yeah. Oh, she's wow. pregnant. Because the store knows she's pregnant. Her dad doesn't know. Yeah. So, so the machine algorithms underneath that was looking at her purchasing habits figured out before her dad did that she was pregnant. Lord, yeah, they know. The machine <laughs> knows better than anybody. Early two thousands, man. Like fifteen years later, we're pumping all this information into the web, and I do it too. So don't feel bad about it because I definitely I'm on Facebook. I have Gmail, um, so I do it too. Yeah, Gmail I, crawls everything that you type, right? There's a hundred percent. It's a hundred percent correct. So uh, there's a reason why your Gmail is one hundred percent free, and that's because they read all of your email. Uh, that's why Google's so really, really good at finishing your sentences now. Uh, they used all of everyone's emails ever and used that to create their natural language predictor. Mm-hmm. And then they also then use your own natural, I think, their own natural language predictor just for you based yeah. on your habits. Oh yeah. So if Toby, ty- if Toby types to me that he's been doing a certain workout and asks me a question about kettlebells, he's going to get kettlebell ads because the content of the third sentence of an email that he wrote to me, it's like yep. stuff like that, right? 
that's just unbelievable technology. And to me, like, it's just, I, I mean, and I, here's what the worst part about it is. I kind of want some of that. Yeah, you know what oh, I mean? Like, yeah. like, 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 I mean, it, it, great. like the, like that, whatever that, you know, th- th- those algorithms help me a lot. Like and some it's of that marketing's good. great. Like yeah. I found awesome, like small providers. Like I, I'm, I don't know if you guys are into this, but like I, I was into raw denim for a while. I found yeah. a lot of great raw denim companies that I otherwise would never have mm-hmm. found because of how these algorithms right. paired me up with that. So like that part's really cool and it's very useful and it's connecting consumers with real goods um, but the data, so to get back onto the data visualization side of it, um, they don't necessarily care about you that much, but they care a lot about, particularly in elections, coming up with demographics. So based on the political content that you share on Facebook or Twitter or whatever, and based on everything that we know about you, your buying habits, your sharing habits, where you went to school, where you grew up, all these things, they can build really specific, very targeted political ads to push all of your buttons so then you feel more like, I need to vote for this guy or... I should be really afraid of this guy. That's the part that's really scary. And that's where a lot of these like Russian bots and trolls that were involved in the 2016 election were very effective. You can backdoor that kind of information. You can target people's weak spots where they're like really, really insecure. That's freaking scary. Like you could know if somebody's mom got hit by a drunk driver, for instance, and then attack and make an ad that they get that says this other person's weak on that type of sentencing or something. Right. Yeah. Knowing right. that they're and just... so, you know, knowing Toby's habits isn't necessarily as important as knowing people like Toby. Mm-hmm. Here are their habits. Here's how we control them. Mm-hmm. It's funny well, because terrifying. it's becoming the most important thing then. Like, or no, you know what it is? It's the realization that it's always been the most important thing. Like I see it. I'm a huge sports fan. Data now is mm-hmm. driving basketball, for example, or, uh, baseball mm-hmm. too, all sports. Yeah. But I mean, basketball goes, wait a minute. Just shoot as many threes as you can because the data shows that if you make this many threes, it's better than trying to make this many twos. And, and so the game of basketball has changed unbel- an unbelievable amount because data. Yeah. And, so what's nice about like the basketball thing, so I, and I'm really into like I play a digital card game, same kind of concept. When, when certain tactics or strategies evolve over time, then other ones kind of creep in and they bring it back down. And there's this yeah. ebb and flow. With basketball, it's nice, too, because like you have, you have a closed environment with known rules. Uh, in the consumer environment or in the voter environment, there are no rules. <laughs> and so when someone finds a way to backdoor it, it's not like there's a new tactic that rises to like come mm-hmm. against it. It just keeps going up. <laughs> So the bad news is like that you can almost already feel that we gave away these freedoms long ago and that's just too late. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, and even now we're going to have to give up more probably for tracking and tracing on COVID, to be honest. I'm pretty sure that's where we're headed and will be necessary. So, okay. (laughs) So the bad news is we seem to have maybe already slipped into what's going to be a less free future, maybe necessarily so, maybe unfortunately so. And that Mm -hmm. really freaks me out. On the other hand, and doesn't maybe it's a little optimistic when you talk about literacy because right now I ain't not very literate, but maybe as new generations come up, they'll be less susceptible to it because it will be in the fabric of their learning. You know how, like old people, you can just hit them with infomercials and they'll get all your yeah. grandparents' money for goofy stuff. They didn't have the inoculation, you know, uh, 
for that type of thing. So they were susceptible to it. Or used car salesmen used to just be able to, you walk in, they were slick talking or snake oil. It's, it's as old as the day yeah. is long. A revival yeah. preachers who are scammers or whatever it ever is. It's, it's when you haven't seen it before as a population, you're super weak to it. But right. maybe we'll just learn, like you, like in basketball, it's a closed system. You can make compensating strategies with other data. But maybe is it the new generations will be very literate in this and they will not be as easily to manipulate? Or is it just yeah. going to get harder and harder for the common person to ever know what they're looking at from here? Right. So it does get harder and harder all the time. Um you know, if, if you even thought like back in the nineties, what the internet was getting used for then it was basically email and like very technical work for very specific lines of work. Now it's mostly cat videos. Um, could anyone really have predicted where technology was going to go in that entire t- span of time? No, not really. That said, Gen Z just, I have a couple of friends that have Gen Z kids. Gen Z has an astounding amount of, of literacy when it comes to this stuff, at least relatively speaking in terms of like age groups um, because they grew up with it. They know, they know how to access a phone. They know what a UI is supposed to look like and feel like. Um, and they, I think they know how to spot a lie a little bit quicker. I, I will also so. say that I have friends that have kids like that. They're taking media literacy courses in, in high school now. Like it's, it's mandatory parts of some schools and it teaches you how to spot a lie and how to, how to find truth in an article and how to, how to critically read something um, as a skeptic. Um, so I guess that's encouraging. My six-year-old looked at a chart I was looking at and freaking out of there. He goes, yes, dad, that's on a log scale. <laughs> she said that? No, of course not. Oh, <laughs> I was about to say. It, it's funny, though, because even, like, we're talking about sports for a second here. Even with the data, like, you could run some real data and have real numbers and expect a certain outcome, right? But the players confidence and uh bias to his game would still he'll go ah get out of here well you know Mm -hmm. and it like that's what's so amazing about it is that Mm -hmm. the the data probably wins out but the human mind goes wait a minute yeah you you can tell me that but i'll show you 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 know I, i i don't have to shoot threes to win this game that's the human mind's inability to assess uh uh, like a benefit analysis. Um, we were talking about it earlier, Toby, when you were saying, uh, I know that the data says this, but man, I just feel this way. We're really bad at assessing actual odds, real yeah. statistics. And from that regard, like, you know, data shows that teams that play a certain way or do a certain thing, statistically speaking, over a long stretch of games are just going to win more. Just right. that's how it is. But on that one individual game, Anything can happen. The, right. human can, <laughs> and the, the human can really just say no. That's why we gamble in happen. Vegas. Right. It's exactly why we gamble You in can Vegas. still win big by taking over and not listening to the coach and the data and feeling it. You can't. I mean, right. that's still true about humans. You can still And that's why I don't do gamble. That. Right. <laughs> hey, I bet you don't. Because <laughs> yeah. I know the odds. One other uh, question that this raises for me is about questions because I was looking up, I was looking this up because I wanted to remember uh, I, I'd forgotten like baseball data is called like sabermetrics and stuff but mm-hmm. uh, I was looking at basketball and uh, so th- some of the data for basketball is like plus uh, a player impact plus minus player talent grades uh, then there was one that said points over expectation. And it it asks the question, how well does a player perform compared to how we'd expect an average player to perform? And we don't I don't want to answer that question, but the thing that I it it caused me to think about 
your one of your jobs is to figure out what the actual question is then right like 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 oh, yeah like like right like, i mean that that must be the thing like because there's a billion trillion infinite questions to ask about covid and you yeah. have to actually sift through it and go wait the actual question that matters is this and then you find the data is that how it works like you have to find the question first or what absolutely so um when i when we started here i was talking about the different roles that are in like kind of the data world. And one of those is the ETL guy, the person that takes the data from the data source and then cleans it up, makes it nice and makes it something that the data visualization person can really utilize well. Part of that process is understanding the relationship between everything. So a really good way of of thinking about this um, in the United States, we have the United States, then we have individual states, then we have counties, and then we have cities within those counties, and then we have zip codes within all of that. Understanding that hierarchy, that relationship is integral to um, then being able to understand geospatial data across our country. Uh, if you botch that relationship, it, everything's busted. Um, so in much the same way, we get really, really, it, it becomes really, really important to understand how the data is built first. Um, and then you take whatever your question is, and you use that to inform how you would then build out your, your data flow, your hierarchy, your relationships. Um, usually in my line of work, someone will come to me and say, like, I need to know if profits are up. And I'm like, up compared to what? Mm-hmm. Define a profit for me. Do you want to see profits by particular products? Uh, what kind of products? Do you want to group the products? Do you want to know the consumer's behavior on this at all? Um, so usually what we, we call it uh, design thinking. Um, it's this process of asking stakeholders what it is that they're after, then digging into those questions, using those in questions to inform some designs, bringing those designs back to them, and then iterating through that over and over and over again. Um, usually what that ends up generating is something that's very potent and very like targeted um, and answers a really, really fundamental good question for an end user. Mm-hmm. So, Tom, I appreciate your time today. And, Toby, I don't know if I explained this fully to you, but I've been trying to talk about how you use your loops in logic and that kind of mm. thing. And yeah. so I was, I was been talking to Tom about it, and we've built a already – what do you call it, Tom? Uh, it has letters that you say it's oh, called. Uh, it's what was that EPK going? or something. I don't know what it is. Yeah. But the, <laughs> I try, I'm drawing a blank on it, too. It's, uh, so, a data model. Yeah, but we're building a data model of a way to take every possible <laughs> bit or demo idea, a guitar notes, a drum beat, or anything like that, and tag it and capture it and put it into a database that then we could ha- own proprietary-wise. And, and you could, for instance, call up uh, fast beats that are quiet or... You know, right. at 188 BPM, and we're getting all the tags so that we'll be creating a data set. So I was going to have everybody in Emory contribute to that data set like every week. You have to put in some idea with some instrument, oh, and you have to tag awesome. it and title it and name it by all these categories, and it'll collect it. and And then we can th- then build tools to pull it out later. And it could be we could see which things, which ideas we have get used, and which ones don't. It's not exactly sabermetrics, but I'm thinking right. yeah. there has to be application for this in in musical collaboration, where certain things work and certain people like this. If you tag it and title it and use it, then you could be able to pull up stuff when you're just trying to be freely creative, 
instead of have to do it, you know what I mean? Like instead of using logic right. loops or other stuff, you could take stuff that we do and we'd have this proprietary data set that we could go write songs with or we could sell it. Like what if Emory built all these sound libraries out and then we could query it a different way and then right. sell it or use it for songwriting sessions or just use it internally. So I'm trying to get my head around. That's how I've been talking to Tom recently is, yeah. is there is if it has all these impacts in these emerging industries, what are the impacts of data science in music wow. production? So I don't know what they are. Super simple search engine for all of the ideas that you guys submit into like a cloud database. Mm -hmm. Man. That's a, it, it it makes me feel so weird because what you're saying is there's there, there potentially could be very great data on what I want to feel. Yes, or 100%. what I want to, what emotion I want to convey. Yes, there oh, is. And, the, and the data will be right about it. It'll be right it, quickly yeah. if God. we had a, enough data and studied it and tagged right, it. Right, right, right. Of course, there's certain things that you like that could be predicted. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Oh yeah, I you know Spotify is is if if Spotify could connect to my Apple Watch and pay attention to when my heartbeat goes up, it'll know when I'm listening to hardcore music versus like right Bony Bear or something like that. Uh, what my responses are to things. Um, I, I don't know how Spotify is going to map that to like whatever you're doing on the web or whatever too, but I don't know. Like, <laughs> I tell you where I think it will be one day, and I'm not saying I'm going to be involved in this, although it would be cool to be involved. I believe, and you can write this one down, Okay, that one day you will be from a company like Spotify that does use data and has your biometrics and all your behavior and all your patterns and all your consumption patterns of music and media. I believe that things like artificial intelligence will be able to compose music for only you. <laughs> 100%. In real time. And you just say, I want to listen to music that makes me feel X. And you probably won't even have to decide because it'll know. And then oh, it will create that music, and only you and nobody else ever will even ever experience it. Oh, yep. Lord, because it's the, just for you. Yes, oh. made for the, you the in this moment by an AI, mm. and then you'll and it will feel better than any music you've ever heard, and nobody else will ever hear it. Yep. Just the you. framework is there. <laughs> just they need the, for the, the nuts and bolts a month to do from it. Spotify. Yeah, yep. oh, absolutely. God. Uh, one other idea, just to throw at you guys real fast, because I'm a musician too. I've been thinking about this for a while. I have no idea how to implement it, but it, it bleeds into data too. So one of the number one problems for gigging and traveling musicians is when your gear gets swiped. Yeah. It sucks. Lots of musicians have, have yeah, lost it happens a all the huge, time. Oh, it's terrible. And every piece of gear that's worth its, worth its weight in gold has a serial number on it. Yeah. I'm convinced that using blockchain technology, if you could submit... I do indeed own this thing, and here's the serial number, and I enter that into the blockchain element. Now I own that serial number, and if you turn that into an app, any store that's reputable would want to go to that app and make sure that something's not stolen or swiped. Well, if you can prove that it's yours using the blockchain, uh, then you can sell it, piece of cake. If someone shows up and they go like, well, I know that's on the blockchain thing, but I don't remember the password or whatever, the store can either say no thanks or call the cops. Right. Oh, that's a brilliant idea. I mean, yeah, for all all kinds of things that you own, you're you're right. Like, I mean, that that probably would even go past music, but you're right. I mean, that happens all the time, and pawn shops, yep, do that. So they just type in, and then there's what's the password? Up, oh, don't have it. Sorry, not buying yep. it. Pawn shops exactly. only do it if you had. Yeah, that's just it's not that easy to do. But I'm sure it'll be stuff like that. It's a good idea. Oh, yeah. 
And you're disincentivized to ruin the instrument because as soon as you scratch off the serial number, I mean, like, right? Is it really worth nearly as much? No. All right. No. Yeah. Scratched off serial so, numbers worth, you know, way less. You can't yeah. get as much money. So, wow. so if you got a if you got a listener who's into that kind of stuff, you guys could be the face, take it to all the all the musicians you guys know, and we'll build something. Hell <laughs> yeah. yeah, I like lots it. of lots of stuff to do. It's gonna all be right, a lot Tom. Of stuff, so. Tom, we really appreciate your time, man. This has been great and morbid and happy and sad <laughs> and everything. I mean, I just uh, it like it really does. Like I, I remember the first time I ever heard the word data, I was able to stay up late, late for me. It was ten p.m. and Star Trek: The Next Generation, <laughs> and <the> data <laughs> was an android, right? It's mm-hmm. Android, I guess, is what yeah. it was. Mm-hmm. And I, I was like, data. That's a what a cool name they named him that. I didn't. I had zero clue what data meant. I just thought it was a name. And then, I mean, and what, which is funny, even going back to then, I mean, from the nineteen eighties to now. What data, how important it is, is just, I mean, it's everything. I mean, it might be, it, it, it's constantly happening and it can be uh, figured out and manipulated and, and, and understood in oh, all yeah. kinds of ways. So. It seems like the threshold that our generation will not ever really catch up from, just like, you know, when you said right. old people, they don't get this or that. From our age and above, it's going to be really hard for them to ever get a grip on it, it seems like. Yeah. So I oh, am hopeful I about the younger kids that they'll be literate and all that. But, Tom, thank you again today. It's yeah. been great. Thank yeah, you, Tom. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. All right. We'll talk to you later. Right, bye. All right, so yeah, I thought that was really good, Toby. You got a piece of business in front of you. Uh, one of the best sponsors we've, in fact, the best sponsor we've ever had. I think you have a piece. I have a piece, and mm-hmm. I'm trying to find it right now because it is the best. <laughs> it is one of the best sponsors we've ever had, and you know, I don't why? like to play favorites, but I don't do. like to play favorites. But it is, uh, and data shows this that it is one of the greatest bands that has ever existed, and it's called Emory. Oh, yeah. And I don't know if you've ever heard of that band. Uh, what am I saying? Obviously, you have. The data shows that every... The data shows it. Yeah, they... they. I think the number of households that have an Emory record in America... Wait, Depending dare on I say the world. Depending on what you look to, but... Yeah, yeah. If you look at a certain certain charts, one out of three American household has an Emory record in them, but in their house. But I heard something like that, speaking of data, for... Uh, What's the uh, Canadian band? Oh, the Canadian stats are hilarious. That yeah, the, I know. I was like there's so few people in Canada, and they put out so much art and entertainment, and the government supports it so well that the band. I right. think it's Our Lady Peace, maybe or something. Our Lady Peace. That's yeah. what it was. Our Lady Peace is like in one of three households in Canada, like literally had physical units in or something. I'll like that. be holding <laughs> my hand, watching you. Down. Oh, what a good time! What a great band. Anyway, yeah, they like so many households had that album. Anyway. I'm speaking about Emory right now because we have a new album coming out, and it's called White Line Fever, and it's a little bit historical. Should I give it away? Maybe I won't give it away. It's a little bit historical about the band Emory, but I'll let you figure out all the lyrics and all that stuff. And the single Civil Wars will be available to stream everywhere on Friday. So check it out. Um, The album pre-order is coming very soon. Uh, you can check out, like I said, Civil Wars on Friday. And we're we doing a preview right now. We might be hearing a little bit of. Oh yeah, speak. Reba, Reba, you can play a preview right now.
taste of it, and it'll be on Spotify on Friday. Right. And if you want it all really early, just join Emory Land right now. I mean, what are you doing sitting at your house trying to go to work every day or sitting at your house, whatever you're doing, the number one thing that they say that data proves is that Emory makes your day better. So I would join Emory Land right now and get a lot of this music already. We, have, we give get it EPs. all. Yeah, you get it you all. You have the whole album Saturday. And extra. You Not only do you get oh, the yeah, album, you get our yeah. Christmas album, you get our Palmetto EP, which is basically all country. People can't, can't stop talk, texting me about how good Palmetto is. This is really good. So you get a lot of music. You get to join the Discord. We are in there all the time talking to folks. It's really fun. I mean, just join Emeryland. You can go to emerymusic.com and join. It's really good. Uh, so, yeah, the, uh, you, you folks. They, just, they get the full to... album right now. I mean, on Saturday, Emeryland yeah. will have the full album. It won't be for public You get it before everybody else. Until June 5th. So why However, you join? However, it is complete. The song Civil Wars, everybody can have a taste of Saturday. But if you like the whole Emory album, it's complete. It's waiting for, for you in you, Emory Land. Yeah. So do All it. Right. Uh, Tom now was that, great. That was oh, cool. He was phenomenal. Matt, you found him, uh, or you and him were talking. I just loved that. I, I promise. I'm normally very overwhelmed with data. <laughs> like, I don't want to think about it. It makes me angry. Emotionally, I get mad at data because <laughs> it. it because it feels like it almost always shows me things that I think I'm not or don't want to believe or hope for the opposite of what it says. The people and that, that claim to yeah. what the data claims is often really pretentious people. Right. And that's a problem. I but the reason think. I like it is like like he said, okay, I promise you I have three kids. I am extremely worried about gun violence and uh, mass shootings. I'm really that, – that is a real part, not, maybe not daily, but at least m- monthly – at the very least, monthly, where I think, what if somebody walks in and starts shooting up the school that my kids go to? I am very concerned about that. Now, that fear does zero. He looked up some data. So if you actually looked at the data, not only would you remove some of the fear, but maybe you could actually keep going further with the data and go, wait a minute, this is what we could do to actually stop those things. Like that's the thing that that I like about it is it helps me remove some of the mo- the emotional component, some of my personal bias, personal fear, personal investment, and then I get to go. Wait a minute, this is the real thing here. I'm looking at real raw data about what is true, and then you might could actually fix some stuff. So if we if we could become less uh give less pushback against this stuff and remove some of our our personal biases against it. We might could actually really solve some real issues. Yeah, or at least run your own cost benefit in your own head. Like you like to me, right. I like to know do I worry about things that are above or below point one percent? You know, like one percent right. of something really bad, I think is a very high percentage, for instance. Right. But point oh oh one, I don't. So even if something's very scary, but it's below point oh oh one, then I I regard it basically zero. Yeah. So when I think about, for instance, school shootings, I worry about them zero. That doesn't mean they're not scary or they can't happen, but yeah. I see school shootings as mathematically rare, so I cause myself to not sit there and worry about it because it sounds so scary that how, how do you weight that, though? So, I mean, right. and you have, everybody has to do their own calibration numerically, but at least if you can start to get a mathematical calibration for things, then you can put in the data, and then you can decide how much to worry about thing, and you, that can be your decision instead of right. just, I don't know, scary-sounding. So I think that's that's 
part of well, it. Well, also, I mean, you know what? Really, like, I, I mean, I asked this question. Both of y'all said we there, we have no way of figuring this out. No one knows. When I was like, well, yeah, but what about if we go into a depression, a Great Depression type scenario? Mm-hmm. We do not really have the data to show that. So the future will. The future is going to have real data about what happened in this pandemic. But we aren't going to have access to that right now. We just have to live through it. And I was yeah, like, we're super uh, early. That's what I think. This whole, all the stuff, the two things I've been ugh. saying lately is the the COVID data and the election data. When people talk about Biden, Trump, this, I, it's the first right. week of baseball season. And you're talking about how many games ahead we are or behind. Like, yeah. it, it's too early. Like, we yeah. have some data, but, you know, we don't know yet what all this stuff is going to be. But we will have increasingly certain and more sets of it. So, it seems unavoidable that we're going to have to wrestle with it, so we just should do that. Is, yep. is, that's all I know to say. All right. Uh, we filmed this episode. You can check it out on YouTube. I'm sure it'll be in the show notes, the link. We'll get Reva to put it in there. But uh, we do episodes for the BC Club, and you can watch that. And we, we are starting to do video there, and the BC Club is alive and kicking. And uh, so far, no one in the BC Club's had COVID not not that I know of. So I don't know if it's but you never know about those asymptomatic clubbers, do you? Well, I don't know, but maybe joining the BC (laughs) club might keep you safe. I don't know. I'm not backing that up with data. Data's not in. Don't take my word for it. But anyone in the BC club doesn't have COVID so far, so I might would. Why why not take a precaution? You know what I mean? Might want to take a precaution. I mean, they said that, you know, like those vitamin C drinks didn't really do anything for you, but, you know, just drink it. Vitamin D is good for the immune system. Vitamin Uh, BC Club is is probably good. Vitamin BC Club, I don't know. I don't think it will save your life, but I don't know if it won't. So why not just join the BC Club right now? Like these folks, we got Adam uh, Caudill. Am I saying that right, man? I don't probably. I don't know. You nailed Emerson it. Jacob Fleury, Dante Giancola, Linda Holt, Lindy Holt, Samuel Greer, and Nick Watson. Those folks, so far as we know, do not have COVID. As far as we know, with the current and that, data I don't know have. if the data shows there's any correlate. I'm not correlating it, but <laughs> what if? But what if? What, I don't know. But what if? I mean, what if? My God, why would you take a chance of not joining the BC Club? I don't know. What, I don't know your financial state. I don't know where you live. Why not join the BC Club? All right, we gotta get out of here. <laughs> Secrets and whispers Telling me that I'm something I'm not All the silly games you play And walk away with nothing to show
it's so 